0: basketball conference the ACC football podcast my name is Joey Weaver he is Mike McDaniel Mike we're heading to Charlottesville we're talking about your who's tonight who we got talking to us
1: Justin Ferber CavsCorner.com editor-in-chief over there Justin's been on our show god maybe four times now I a bunch he's he's our UVA guy Justin what's going on man
2: I've seen some stuff in the last few years that's for sure yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll say. Yeah, it. it's been every year. I feel like has been wildly different than the next. So excited to see how this one plays out.
0: Well, and OGs will know that Justin. A lot of those things that he's seen have been on my LinkedIn. Uh, if, you, if you like that <laughs> callback to the first time I think he was on the podcast.
2: <laughs> my Shout out to my professional career, which is unrelated. <laughs>
0: Justin, it's great having you back. Uh, We're we're excited to kind of talk about year two here of the Tony Elliott era uh, at Virginia. Year one, uh, things got off to a bit of a a rough start. Uh, The team was three and seven. And then obviously the the tragedy at the end of the season Um, can't talk about this team without mentioning uh, the the shooting that happened that that cut the season short. Uh, the the final two games were just canceled, uh, and and understandably so. But I guess you know, in terms of the way that the fan base looks at this team and this coaching staff, looking at those those first ten games, what was the initial takeaway on you know first impressions of like, do we feel like we have something building towards the future, or are there already concerns coming to light with with the way things are looking, the way things are, you know, the team's being coached, the way that the recruiting's looking, things like that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think where they started, it sort of depends on where you think they were going into the season. And um, I think Tony was in a little bit of a unique situation last year. Um, The expectations were higher than most first-year coaches would have, right? So, like, I think the Vegas over-under for wins for them was, like, 7.5. I remember talking to you guys about this last year, and I think people were – pretty bullish on them winning some games. I think the idea was like the offense would kind of pick up where they left off. They might not be as good as they were the previous year, but they brought back so much from a really productive passing game in 2021. Um, and then you would think that that would sort of carry over, especially bringing a quarterback back and Brendan Armstrong. Um, and the defense would kind of lag, but maybe improve, you know, after they were pretty bad in 2020 and 2021 um, under Broncos staff and, you know what ended up happening was the offense regressed you know in extreme fashion um and the defense was way better than people thought it was going to be it just didn't translate to wins um and it almost feels like there was two different teams playing you know it was like the the defense is certainly like something if you wanted to find a positive um you know they improved drastically from where they were and some of that is personnel right like they brought in some different guys some guys left and graduated and younger guys came in and played better um and then a lot of it was I think just the new coaches you know really hit the ground running and then on the offensive side of the ball the expectations were really high and it was really clear that things just didn't click and I think there's a lot of blame that can go around with that a lot of learning that has to go around with that with the guys that are back um And then maybe some guys that just didn't buy in. There was a lot of issues around that, you know, before what happened in November. And um, ultimately, like, there were a couple signs here and there that maybe they were making some strides. But ultimately, like, the last game that they played against Pitt was a disaster. Um, Brandon Armstrong threw two pick sixes to start the game, like, literally the first two plays of the game. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Hard to forget. Um, And, you know, like, it was just the the wheels were kind of – felt like they were kind of falling off, Um, you know, and and it'll be interesting to see this year. I mean, because I think we'll learn a lot about the coaching staff, the personnel, you know, where the the locker room is after obviously what ended up happening to end the season. Um, Because a lot of those guys that were factoring in on offense that were expected to be good last year are gone. So you're kind of starting over, and maybe that just leads to more struggle, or maybe it leads to... Some improvement, even modest improvement, um, which would make you think, "Hey, maybe last year was just kind of like a year zero reset, and it th- we were kind of overlooking the negatives to, and focusing on the positives." With guys like Brendan and Dontavian Wicks coming back,
0: yeah, I, I was going to ask, and, and maybe a bit of a weird question, but you mentioned the expectations, especially maybe from the fan base. Do you feel like looking looking back, like at the time that those expectations, you know, were being discussed or being considered? Mm-hmm. Was, was all of that, like, totally isolated to the football program? Or do you think any of that was maybe related to some of the success that's been had with the basketball program and with some of the other non-revenue sports uh, in
2: recent years on campus? Football is weird here just because, like, it's such a different sport on any campus, right? And here it's, like, it's such a different enterprise. I mean, I think the, the Olympic sports, a lot of that has to do with, like, the student base that UVA is recruiting and, like, the areas of the country that they're recruiting – and honestly, you know, it's a big topic right now, but just like the conference that they're in, I think there's a lot of programs that do well with that. And then obviously basketball is, is humming, but they have one of the best coaches in the sport. So I think that's, you know, I've seen what UVA basketball can be when they don't have that. <laughs> and it's not always as good as it is now. But I mean, I think with the football program, I think, and and I'm probably guilty of this too, to some degree. Um, I wasn't as positive about the team um, as some other people were, but, like, I, I I was like, okay, there's no reason they can't kind of, like, hit the ground running with Brandon back and with, like, the amount of receiver talent that they brought back. And then you kind of think, like, well, the offensive line might not be that great, but, you know, ultimately, you could maybe work around that or maybe you hit on some transfers, and, and then they're going to try to run the ball, so, like, they're going to have a little bit more balance. And um, I don't think anybody really thought, like, oh, Tony Elliott's, like, such an offensive savant that he's going to be able to, like, complete, like, take this offense to a level that they weren't at before. I think it was more like they'll be able to sustain what they've been doing because they brought all these players back while they integrate their scheme. Um, And ultimately, that just didn't happen. And, you know, I, I think it's easy to kind of blame the scheme, and I think there's something to that. And there's also something to the newness of the scheme. But then also, like, if you just look at it, like, um, you know Brandon Armstrong I think he's going to have a lot of success at NC State back in the scheme he was in but like he wasn't good like he just wasn't good Um, and ultimately like the first year of the Tony Elliott era I'll be able to tell you a lot more about about it the next time we talk because you know like I think we need to see more Um, to be honest with you because the, the returns in the first year are not good um and I don't think I think one of the issues you mentioned the university like in as a whole like I don't think people are bought in yet like I don't think they've and to be honest I don't think they were bought in before the season started it just kind of like the hire happened and then everybody started working and I think there's still some you know work to do with the trying to bring people in to the you know make them feel like they're part of something and get behind it um I'm just kind of comparing to what what's happened in Blacksburg cuz they both hired coaches at the same time in the same state and you see there it's like they haven't won games but people are kind of bought in like they're like we're going to head to the re-. and a lot of that is the preseason expectations too right like UVA was expected to be pretty good last year even with all the changes and Tech wasn't so like it's almost the prism through which you view the season changes if that makes sense.
1: We've been having some conversations about that with other coaches in the ACC, it's like Louisville's got a pretty easy schedule this year, but their schedule mm-hmm. is definitely harder next year, right? So if Louisville goes out and wins eight, nine, ten games in year one under Jeff Brom, and then next year they bring back a very similar team and only win like six you know how does a fan base feel about Braun? That's ex- now that's exactly
2: know. what we thought was going to happen here we we're i mean i've had a lot of conversations with people it's like maybe they can hit the ground running and go like 7 and 5 8 and 4 in year 1 and then right. if you have a bad year 2 it's like well you can say like the schedule's a lot harder you know whatever right. and then you at least gathered some momentum on your way through your first season
1: well i'm i'm dying to ask you this cuz i um I was not on this podcast last year, I don't believe. I think my son was just born. So I think Joey interviewed you. I'm dying to know about the whole process of hiring Tony Elliott and Mm kind of because you mentioned, you know, the fan base not really being entirely bought in like going into last year. And now, after a rough year one, kind of where things are at now, the hiring process of Tony Elliott was the The whole thing was kind of strange. Like it seemed like Elliot was the guy, right? It seemed like they really, they wanted to hire him. And then the whole like back and forth with his contract happened. And then he was like in, then he wasn't, then he was in, and then he was, you know, contract signed and he's like definitely in. And then, you know, obviously three and seven last year is not great. How does the fan base view him in terms of like how all that went down, right? And like, do you think the fact that you know he wasn't necessarily—I don't want to say he wasn't the guy because I thought he was—but with the whole hiring process and how that happened, is that a big reason why the fan base wasn't totally in on Elliott, or does it just reflect back to you know last couple years of Clemson offense struggling a little bit? Like, are we sure Elliott's the right hire?
2: Yeah, it's a combination of things. I don't know that it's necessarily anything personal to him specifically. Um, I think like part of the there were a lot of factors in this. One Bronco quit out of nowhere, so like right. people weren't ex- people weren't like pining for a coaching change. Um, maybe they were after the tackle eligible play against Virginia Tech, but that was in like a three day span <laughs> before you quit. You know, right. like that wasn't like a slow burn. Um, I caught all of us off guard. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it sure did. Just just remember that when you get to, if you haven't done your NC State preview, you know, all those guys are back together. So, Um, But, you know, I I think, you know, Bronco quitting um, was weird and unexpected. And I think it wasn't something where, like, I mean, I know this for a fact, like the athletic director and the president weren't like, oh, yeah, he's thinking about quitting. Like, they had no idea. So, you know, you start you you're sort of starting a search from scratch, which is pretty rare. I mean, like a lot of schools, even if a coach leaves for a better job, like you kind of know that's possible, right? Like you're you're thinking about it. Um, and you know, the guy that before, I mean, Elliot was one of the first names that came up, but also Anthony Poindexter yeah. came up. Anthony Poindexter, for people that don't know, um, was probably one of the three or four best players that ever played for UVA. Um, Played in the nineties, I think he was an All American like three years in a row, um, and then he had like a horrific knee injury you know back in a time where they couldn't really fix it like they can now, and his career basically like never got off the ground in the NFL. Um, but anyway, he he came back and coached. He was on Gross Staffs and London Staffs, and then he went out and now he's the co-defensive coordinator at Penn State, um, and. You know, it seemed like it was heading in that direction. And there was some buzz. I mean, I wouldn't say, like, it was 100% approval because, obviously, like, Poindexter hasn't even called defensive. He's not even, like, really, like, a full-fledged defensive coordinator. Um, so it would have been kind of, like, an unproven choice. But there it's a sentimental choice. Um, and I think there would have been a lot of people that would have got behind it. Um, but ultimately, I think, to the fan base... I mean, there's some other stuff going on, too. Like, even when Bronco kind of had things running pretty good, I mean, I don't think, like, you know, they never got the attendance numbers back to where they were at, at its peak. Um, and some of that just has to do with, like, changes, and, you know, like, a lot of programs have had that issue. Um, so I think it's kind of a combination of things. I don't think Tony did anything when he got here that was, like, that turned anybody off. I think they it just wasn't, like, the kind of hire that's going to, like – it didn't, like – you know change people's minds and be like, "Oh, now I'm in. I was out and now I'm in." Because a lot of those people would have been in with Bronco. You know what I mean? Um like cuz they they were winning games. So, you know, I think it's a combination of things, honestly, but the whole the whole process was weird with him like leaving and and coming back and, you know, like, that was odd. Um but ultimately when that was happening, what we were hearing is like this is kind of like he's a very like deliberative person. So like, you know, it's not that surprising, but you know, I think it's kind of water under the bridge at this point. But ultimately, now it's about the results.
0: Yeah, you mentioned him coming in for Bronco. I mean, I'm sure there's a little something different about hiring Tony Elliott, a first time head coach, to replace Bronco Mendenhall, who had been hired as an 11 year veteran at BYU. Mm-hmm. You know, and then spent another six years uh, kind of building a program, proof of concept, all that at, at Virginia. You know, it's just it's a, it's a different. Different approach. It's a different feeling for sure. Um, Justin, I want to talk about the roster. Um, And and the first place we always go to is the quarterback situation. And it's funny to me looking back, Brennan Armstrong has recorded pass attempts for this program for the last five years and has also now transferred to NC State uh, where he will start this year as quarterback. I I don't know how eligibility works anymore for what that's worth. But – at this point, uh, help me understand what does the Virginia quarterback situation look like? I know we had Tony Musket transfer in from Monmouth. Uh, is it is it Musket or Bust, or is there anything else that we might be seeing from a quarterback standpoint this fall?
2: Yeah, I mean he's the guy. Um, he was brought in to start. I mean, I think. Um, well, yeah, that's one. You know, you're talking about like how the fan base feels about Tony Elliott and like where he stands and all that. I think some of that is going to come down to how that goes because that was when when the season ended and after all the you know funerals and stuff that they had to deal with and stuff much bigger than football obviously they had to go get a quarterback right because Brennan was in the portal and the first guy they went out and like talked to and met with was Tony Musket I mean they they kind of picked him early and you know, I wouldn't say, like, they brought him in and told him he'd be the starter, but I think that was the implication, <laughs> um, you know. And and in the spring, he got most of the first-team reps. Uh, you know, it seems like he did pretty well. I mean, the coaches praised his accuracy. He played well in the spring game, too. And so he's going to be the guy. Tony Elliott actually announced today that he's officially the starter, even though there wasn't really – it wasn't really much of a competition, to be honest with you. His backup is um, a true freshman, Anthony Calandria. <laughs> who, you know, we were talking about him before we jumped on. He's performed really well since he's gotten here, and he enrolled early. Um, but, you know, he's a true freshman. Musket's a guy that, you know, it's a different level of football, but he's played a lot of football at, at um, the FCS level. And um, ultimately, like, the coach is kind of – I don't want to say they're staking their reputation on him, but, like, in some ways I would say that's the case because that, that's the guy they went out and wanted, um, you know, went out and got him. So – Um, I think it's also interesting that their quarterback's coach, um, he was the offensive coordinator at Gardner Webb, uh, before he came over to UVA and and Gardner Webb and Monmouth are in the same league. So he's seen Tony Musket play twice (laughs) and he lit them up in both of those games. Um so I think like that might have been a factor in wanting to get him And, and Musket's a Virginia guy. He's from West Springfield high school in Northern Virginia, so um yeah, I mean, like, we'll see how it goes. I, I, I think, you know, he's he's got some tools. Like, I was kind of skeptical when I heard Monmouth, and then I went and watched, and, and he can definitely – I think he's certainly a Power 5 capable quarterback from, like, an arm talent tool standpoint. It's really going to be about how how well he learned the offense, especially after watching last year's offensive personnel really struggle to, like, just execute things. Um, if he can come in and do that, I think that's an improvement
1: offensively, especially a receiver, mm-hmm. it's a young group. Um Dontavian Wick's gone, Billy Kemp transferred out.
2: Keaton Thompson. Yeah. LaBelle like, Davis and Devin Chandler, obviously.
1: Right. So I mean, is this is this the weakness of the of the roster? Like is it wide receiver? Is it elsewhere? Um I mean it, it at the very least it's an unproven group it seems like.
2: I think I'd be more worried about the offensive line. Um, I think like if you looked at it on paper, you know, I I saw David Hill's like position rankings for the ACC, which I always think is interesting. And he does a good job of sort of breaking those things down. He had, I think he had UVA's receiver group like last in the league. And I completely understand how you would come to that conclusion just based on like looking down the roster, what they have. I would say that I'm probably higher on this group. And and a lot of people that are closer to the program are than, than the outside world is. and, And that's fine. Um, we'll see where they land. Like, but you know, Malachi Fields was a guy who last year they expected to sort of be a breakout player, and he certainly would have played a lot last year, even with all those other guys on the team. Um, and he got hurt; he like broke his ankle or something. I can't remember what he did—foot um, injury or something—in like August. Um, so he didn't get to participate in camp or the season. And he played against Pitt and had like a really nice game in his first game back, the last game of the season. So I think he could be like a breakout star at receiver. Uh, J.R. Wilson's another guy um, who was a freshman last year who had to play when all those other guys that you mentioned got hurt at the end of the year, and he had a good game against North Carolina. Um, they brought in Malik Washington, who was all-Big Ten player at Northwestern, um, solid. I think he'll probably lead the team in catches. He's like a slot guy. Um and, and you know, they've got a couple other guys like that that can make a dent. Demique Starling, he's sort of, like, unproven, but probably one of the fastest players in the conference. Um, you know, he's he's super, super fast, like, track guy. It's just whether he can kind of put it all together as a football player. And then they have a couple freshmen that everybody seems to like, Sidarian Harrison and Jaden Gibson, who are going to play. So um, I think the receiver room is going to surprise some people. I don't think they're going to be, like, you know, I don't think it's going to be, like, uh, you know, A Mike Leach air raid you know guys just catching balls all over the place but I think they can make plays move the chain score touchdowns um I think if I was looking for a weakness it's probably offensive line and then also the cornerback group just because there's so many new guys there but I trust the defensive staff to figure that out the offensive line you know you have a new offensive line coach um and it's just a completely new group really I mean like with all the guys that have left
0: You mentioned the 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 turnover in the wide receiver room, and again, I mean, how many of the top top receivers from that wide receiver room last year, you know, no longer on the team in you know one form or fashion or another. But I, I guess the thing that I look at is they did bring in the one transfer receiver, Malik Washington, but otherwise, you know, not a lot for what felt like it was going to be a, a rebuild in that room. My question is, you know, something that we've seen with a number of ACC programs is the, you know, it's a lot more difficult to get transfers to come in than it is to, you know, keep them from leaving. Basically, is that is that something that you've seen at Virginia as well uh, as we've seen at a lot of other programs?
2: I think uh, it depends. I, I mean, I, I think that's a good question. I think in in some ways, I think with the coaching change, that obviously lends itself to having people leave. Um, I think last year there were some people that left obviously you had some people leave when bronco left you know as tony got hired and then you had people that went through one El- one year with elliot and were like you know what this isn't for me for whatever reason or i want to do something else with my last year or i'm not a scheme fit or whatever it is um and that's fine i mean like that's normal um and i don't think that they've been able to bring guys in necessarily at that rate um but i think a school like uva is going to thrive on a certain type of player and Positions with opportunities. So, like, on the defensive side of the ball, I mentioned they brought in, like, three or four defensive backs um, from different kind of situations. One from Clemson, one from one from North Carolina that oddly came and left, and now he's at Louisville. <laughs> um, and then one from SMU, uh, and I'm forgetting somebody. Um, but anyway, yeah, they brought in a bunch of corners and, and guys that, like, they see the playing time. And I think the offensive line sort of been the same way. Um, they're also, I think they do a pretty good job of, and this goes back to when Bronco was here, but, um, they do a pretty good job with like, uh, Ivy league players and, and players like that that are like interested in not just football, but the value of like whatever their postgrad, usually it's a postgraduate degree, um, when they're transferring in. Um, and a lot of guys like see the value in that and, and they've done pretty well with those guys and, um, you know, and even like Mac level players and stuff like that. The question is like, I think just across the board in college football, but certainly at UVA, it's like, I would say if you can hit on more than half of your transfers, then you probably did pretty good because you're going to have guys that wash out, guys that aren't a fit, guys that it's the, you know, if they're coming up a level, maybe it's like, they're just not athletic enough. Um, guys that are coming from bigger programs thinking they're going to play, but they don't, you know, because they're just maybe not as good as they think they are or whatever the case may be. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I think at receiver, it's a combination of things. I think they really needed a guy like Washington that can come in and just eat up a bunch of catches, especially with, like, uh, Kemp gone. And, you know, he's a guy that just could live across the middle of the defense and do things. And I think they have faith in the outside guys. that I mentioned Fields and and Wilson and Starling and those guys. It's going to be, you know – they didn't really go out and like recruit a ton of receivers to be honest with you. So I think part of it is like betting on the guys you have, but um, ultimately like I think for this year, they're not going to bring in as many guys as they lost, but maybe next year they don't lose as many because there's more of a buy-in, if that makes sense with the, with the staff going into their, I guess it'll be their third year. Defensively,
1: uh, you know, you talk about some of the weaknesses on offense or at least, the unproven pieces of the offense but defensively this is a group that returns especially in defensive line a lot of veterans I know at linebacker you lose Nick Nick Johnson I'm sorry Nick Jackson to Iowa and Mm -hmm. you know he's a three-time all-ACC player it's really hard to replace that guy but defensively at least in the front seven this looks like a group that could definitely turn some heads make some noise at least be a strength of the roster am I wrong about that is there you know another position group that maybe we should be looking at more closely
2: no, I think that's the best group. Um, I mean, I think that they did a pretty good job last year. Um, and, and, you know, just kind of like – like I said, the defense wasn't really expected to do a whole lot. And, you know, nobody was really expecting them to to light the world on fire. And it's like, hey, if they can just show some more sound play. The big thing under the in the last Bronco year was just giving up big plays. But – getting after the quarterback was a priority and they got a lot of pressure from their front last year and had a couple guys break out. Um, Chico Bennett was a guy that started his career at Georgia tech. Then he came over and and got hurt. Um, And then once he, you know, started playing last year, I think he, he led the team in sacks. He was, he's a solid player. He's a little banged up right now. So hopefully he'll be able to kind of get right before the season starts. Um, but, they also brought in Cam Butler, who was a nice transfer addition from Miami, Ohio, and a guy that um, had a lot of offers. Like he, Penn State was trying to get him, West Virginia, and a bunch of other schools. Um, and he he was a solid player. And then Paul Akira, a, a transfer, again, from the, from the Ivy League, from Columbia, um, came in and did well. Then you got, like, Aaron Falmui back. He's in his sixth year. And Jameer Carter's back this year, and he's a big nose tackle. And they've got, like, some depth in that group too like Ben Smiley's a guy who was a four-star recruit and hasn't really broken out but like it could happen this year you know or he's at least going to factor in from a depth perspective and um, I think that group is is solid um, I think there's some upside in other areas of the defense like the safeties in particular Jonas Sanker I think is a really good player who's going to become more of an all ACC type player this year um, and you know I just feel like that The defensive staff demonstrated to me last year that there's a a level of competence. The offensive staff, I'm not saying that they can't get there, but they didn't show it, you know, last year just based on what we saw. So, um, with the defensive staff, there's more of, like, faith, I think, that they'll get it right Um, even if, you know, there's some bumps in the road or you have to break in some new guys at different positions. But I think their front seven is going to be pretty strong.
0: They're an area, Justin, and and forgive me if this is, is, uh, you know – covering ground we've already covered, but is there an area of this roster that you look at with kind of call it a depth concern, you know, an area where we feel pretty good about the starters at this point, but if there's an injury or two that start to pile up, you know, the, the drop off to the the backups is, is pretty quick and pretty steep.
2: Yeah. I mean, well, there's a few, <laughs> and that's usually why your team has a, you know, low expectations, right? Um, offensive line, um, They brought in, I think they're going to start at least two transfers, maybe three. Um, And, you know, like after those guys, there's just if the guys behind them are good, we haven't seen it yet because they haven't played, you know, or, or they're freshmen or whatever. Um, and they've done, I think they've done an okay job of like the offensive line that this staff inherited from Bronco staff was a disaster. And there's a lot of factors at play there. I mean, guys transferred yet all American center, go to Michigan and so on and so forth. Um, but you know, that group, you know, if a couple guys get hurt, you could have trouble. They had the same issue last year, uh, cornerback, the entire group is sort of unproven. Um, and you know, I think they'll, they'll find a couple of guys that can go out and get the job done as starters. But then after that, it's, you know, they've got some younger guys in the two deep. Um, so that, that could be a concern. Those are the two that are really standing. Oh, and then quarterback. I mean, to be honest with you, I, I mentioned it before, but your backup's a true freshman who I think, you know, his looked good in the spring and look good in the fall. And coach Elliott said last week was kind of pushing musket and, I think honestly in some situations that would be a big red flag but I've seen Calandria play and he was pretty he's been pretty good every time I've seen him out there so I think that might actually be kind of a good thing if he's if he's playing well but he's a true freshman right <laughs> and he's the backup and after him it's a walk on because they only have two scholarship quarterbacks right now. Um, Oof. Yeah. I mean it's I've never heard of it happening before and it's by choice which I think is interesting because I think the back, the walk on backup they they kinda like, but I mean you wouldn't want him in a game. Um didn't But then they gave him they a scholarship. Have, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he might be working his way up there. Um but you know, they just moved last week one of their quarterbacks to receiver. Um and I think that's more of like he's just not a college quarterback, if I had to guess, just from what I've seen. Um there was a guy that the previous staff brought in and then another quarterback that Broncos staff brought in just moved to safety. So it's kind of like, you know, and, and they know that they only have two other quarterbacks in the room. So it kind of makes you wonder, like, you know, where those guys were. And obviously in an emergency, I guess they could come back to quarterback, but that's not ideal. Um, or you're running practice almost at that point. Like, what? Yeah, I mean, it's really bizarre. been it's really been Musket and Calandria getting a lot of the reps. And then the backup, Grady Brosterhouse is his name, um, the walk on. He's been playing quite a bit, and I mean, he he's ha- seems to have a pretty live arm. And you hope that you don't ever have to go to your third quarterback. But um, that room is probably going to need to be overhauled. And some of this is, some of this is obviously choice. Like I said, two guys switch positions, and some of it is Jay Wolfolk walking away from football to focus on baseball too. So um, that certainly impacted the room. But but like I said, moving Delaney Crawford from receiver to, or to receiver was something they did after that. <laughs> so clearly, like you know, it wasn't like you know that decision had been made or anything like that so yeah we'll see how that goes I mean obviously you you hope that you don't even have to go to your backup quarterback too much but um, if it goes beyond two then then obviously at that point you're just trying to get through games with how the offense
1: struggled last year and we'll get into the schedule here in a second but with how the offense struggled last year what would constitute a successful season in your eyes, Justin? Because I'm having a similar conversation just down the road in Blacksburg Mm -hmm. where I'm trying to figure out what would constitute a successful season offensively after what I saw out of my alma mater last year, which was, you know, even worse than what UVA fielded.
2: Yeah, I think that's the question, Um, is – you know we, we talked about what happened last year on the offensive side of the ball and then obviously everything that the team had to deal with off the field um and the defense improvement which i think like we give the defensive staff and imp- the, the credit for that but also that's part of tony's staff right <laughs> like he gets credit for that too um i think anyway so you know it as far as the offense goes like what constitutes success is is um competence if that makes sense like Last year, it looked like there was way too much stuff going on. I mean, like, they were having trouble getting plays in. And, like, the basic things yeah. that you just don't want to see teams messing up. Um, procedural yeah. penalties. Breakdowns in coverage. They had – I couldn't i couldn't tell you how many passes they dropped. Like, I mean, it was a lot. <laughs> Including guys that are, you know, like, guys that were depended on to be good last year. Um, guys running the wrong routes. Quarterbacks throwing to the wrong spots, you know quarterbacks throwing two pick sixes to start games (laughs) like it was just a litany of it It was like every issue you can think of um kind of came up at one point or another and they were bad at all the key metrics and i'd say that's where i would want to see some improvement is third downs red zone that sort of stuff like the stuff that really makes and breaks a game turnover margin um that's the stuff that they need to do a better job of it's just really executing i don't think anybody um is expecting this offense to like suddenly start scoring 30 points a game with the personnel they have um but i would at least i think most fans agree like i would at least like to see that it feels like the the coaches and the players have a better idea of like what they're doing everybody's on the same page even if like you know they're only scoring they scored 17 points a game last year after scoring 30 plus the year before that's a huge drop off and i think they were last in the acc in scoring Get that up to, like, if you can score an extra touchdown a game, like, even if the results are kind of, you know, I think more opponent-driven than anything else. That's why the ACC, especially the Coastal, has always been so cluttered. It's like all the teams are the same. Um, So I think, like, you know, you almost have to throw the record out and just look at, like, did they improve and did it feel like they put the right personnel on the field and, like, added the right pieces and things like that.
0: Let's take a quick second to remind you about section103.com as the internet's premier place for all things wonderful wonderful Georgia Tech apparel. They have t-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, they got a couple of three-quarter shirts, they got buttons, stickers, all sorts of things. Thanks for men, women, children, something for the whole family. Every Georgia Tech fan in your life can use something from section103.com. Use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order. Uh, they've got some new things all the time coming. Uh, recently came out with some new player shirts. Uh, shirts, you know, jerseys, I guess, as the, as the kids would call them. Uh, things with a logo on the front, a number on the front, and a number on the back, along with a name. they got shirts for both Zach Pyron as well as Dante Smith who kind of project to be Georgia Tech's starting quarterback and running back this year. So if you want to support those players, I believe they get some NIL money out of it too. So just you know keep that in mind for what it's worth. Uh, They've got the Junior's Grill shirt. They've got all sorts of great, great products there. They've also recently come out with a clearance section. So if you're looking for some T-shirts or a couple of hoodies for a uh, slightly lower price point, go check out the clearance section. Once again, it is section103.com or at section underscore 103 on Instagram. Give them a follow. Check it out. All things wonderful Georgia Tech apparel. Again, using the official team colors, the official word marks, everything. It is all officially licensed. It is super comfortable, super high quality. I love mine. You will love yours as well. Check out the performance wear if you're looking for things to keep you cool here during the summer. In any case, one more time, that is section103.com, the Internet's best place for all things wonderful Georgia Tech apparel. That's it for now. Let's get back to the show. <laughs> Let's hit the schedule, Justin. Uh, we, we will start with week one where I have good news and I have bad news. <laughs> What's the good, good news? news? <laughs> good news, it's a home game.
2: Yeah, well, the no, bad news is in it's, uh... Nashville. <laughs> oh, crap. <laughs> yeah. In a very, <laughs> well, neutral, never mind. very neutral Nashville, I'm sure. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, is that at LP, I guess, then? Yeah, yeah cool. exactly. Or, or Nissan Stadium, I guess. Uh, yeah, so not a home game. You're taking on Tennessee in an NFL stadium. Mm -hmm. in nashville so that was a road game (laughs) Yeah. yeah decidedly a road game uh out of conference also the following week against james madison the following week on the road at maryland on a friday night uh and then a few weeks later at home against william and mary from a from an out of conference standpoint and from a uh you know talking about a program with a relatively young head coach still trying to establish themselves all this stuff this feels like a mildly nightmarish out-of-conference schedule. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you, you'd you maybe struggle, I think, a little bit to get to 2-2 two and two here. And I think 0-4 is on the table?
2: In non-conference play? I mean, Way & Mary the number four FCS team. So, mm-hmm. I mean, they're not bad. Not I mean, good. The fighting Mike London's <laughs> um, coming back up to Charlottesville. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it, it's not great. The ACC has the rule that you have to play a Power 5 team or, or I, th- I think BYU also counts, um, or Notre Dame. But, like, they didn't have to play Tennessee and Maryland. <laughs> um, and that's the kind of stuff that, like, if you go back to the Mike London years, like, they were doing that way too much, you know? Like, they would be playing, like, UCLA and Notre Dame in the same year, or, like, um, BYU and Oregon, you know, <laughs> and stuff like that. And it's just, like, you're – yeah, I think you want to have excitement around your program and play those games, but ultimately, like, if you're not in a position to compete in them – You're only doing yourself harm. And, you know, I think the Tennessee game, it's a perfect example of a program looking at where they stand in that moment and scheduling it and not thinking ahead. Because it's like they they scheduled it between Broncos last year and Tony's first year, right, in the summer. So it's like they were probably thinking, like, oh, Broncos gone, but, like, the program has been consistently winning Um Tennessee had a solid year last year, but they they hadn't gone ten and two yet, so it didn't feel like impossible to beat them. Um, and then you also had, uh, you know, just higher expectations around the program in general. So like they added that game to a schedule that already had Maryland on it. JMU is kind of a nightmare, <laughs> just because it's a zero sum. It's like it's one of those games for UVA where it's like if you win the game, like that's great. Like you got to win, and I think fans would feel pretty good about beating. Uh, JMU because JMU's been good, um, and it, it would be a relief to beat them. But also, it's like you're kind of setting yourself up to where it's like if you beat them, the outside world's probably not going to give you a ton of credit. But there's also a really good chance you lose. Um, I don't expect them to beat Maryland um, on the road, and then the Maryland comes to UVA next year. Um, but I think that's going to be a tough one. Uh, you know, on a short week too, because uh, they play on a Friday. And then, you know, William & Mary, I think you you have to just assume that they're going to win that game, but, like, you know, it might not be easy. Um, I think the problem you kind of run into is, like, these games kind of stacked at the beginning of your schedule with also NC State and Boston College in there, you know, you start to envision a scenario where if things don't click, you can really start stacking up losses, and then it's hard to kind of come back from that. So
1: the whole stacking up losses thing is what I want to talk about here because, I mean, the the out-of-conference, tough, right? And then, you know, you wrap up with William & Mary first week of October before the bye week. And you mentioned, you know, William & Mary is one of the best teams in the FCS. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the Mike London factor coming to Charlottesville. It's going to be an emotionally charged game. It's the second non-conference in-state team that that yeah. UVA plays which they're is going very for the state too. title i guess right yeah exactly and then you know you go into a bye week and then coming out of the bye you play three of your next four on the road against North Carolina and Miami then you have Georgia Tech at home but then you go on the road to Louisville on a Thursday on a Thursday mm-hmm. on a short week what the hell? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that you, stuff, I think that stuff's a little
2: out of their control just because, like, you know, it's an ACC thing. But right, that, right. I right. mean, I think the bye comes at the worst time because it's after William & Mary. You know, so it's, like, the only way that it would be good is if that was, like, they had been, like, 0-4 or whatever and then won, and then it's, like, okay, maybe you take some momentum into your bye. Yeah. Um, but it's, like, you know, I'd rather get that bye maybe, like, after NC State before Boston College or, you know after you know like I don't I don't know where you would want to put it but um, yeah I mean uh, they have the buy and then they go to I think what is it Carolina and Miami and then they have yeah and then they finish with three or four at home um, so it's like maybe you try to get some momentum going at the end but the thing is like the damage is done if you're like one and six or whatever right <laughs> like um, and see what happened and this is something I think I'm gonna be keeping a really close eye on this year is last year in camp There were some issues. I think, like, you know, I went to practice a few times, and at the end of practice, they let us talk to players sometimes if we have media availability. And there'd be, like, guys running. And that's not something you want to see, but, you know, at the end of practice. Um, But it happened a few times. And I was like, okay, whatever. He's just trying to, like, set his culture, you know, do his thing, whatever. Um, And that's fine. But, you know... There was a lot of talk about, like, how things were progressing and things were going well, but then once the game started getting played and things started to go bad, it felt like Tony kind of, like, I don't know, hit the wall or got frustrated with, like, how things were going. And obviously, like, you think about, like, where he came from. Like, he's not used to losing, (laughs) like, you know, much at all. And I think this was maybe, like, a little bit of a – like, more of a rebuild than he thought it was uh, in terms of just, like, resetting things to be the way that he wanted. And I'm interested to see – from a psyche standpoint, like this is going to be a tough early season schedule. I don't see any possible way they'd be better than two and two. Um, you know, I just, and if they went two and two, people should be very happy with that. Um, you know, given what they, who they're playing and where and all that stuff. Um, you know, if, if things go bad and they're Oh, and four, or one and one and three, like how does he handle that? Is it still the, cause there's things have been very positive this fall about the teams, you know? making progress and like you know guys are on the same page and they understand the schemes and they understand me and our staff and um all and then a lot of guys that maybe like weren't bought in have have left um you know and or like weren't a fit left and um we're gonna see if that's real or not you know by how they kind of conduct themselves if things go poorly i think
0: i think that's a great point and i, I- one of the things I look at again schedule-wise is I think the the stretch of four games in November is probably like the most forgiving looking stretch. You know, you've got three home games against my Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, the the you know, Duke and Virginia Tech. Like that you know, if you start stacking up games on the schedule of like most winnable, those are you know, some of the some of the more winnable ones on there and I think doing that at the end the question is like are those guys still able to get up for that? after everything they will have gone through by that stretch, you know, in that first eight games. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's a, that's a, a really insightful point of, you know, what is, what is the psyche of a team towards the end of the season after what they might go through early,
2: especially given like what they've been through, you know, in the last year. And um, I think that's a factor to, you know, like Mike Collins was involved in that and he's on this team. Like, I mean, the, it's not like there's no remnants and, you know, I think, everybody's kind of saying the right things and doing the right things like you know it's an honor just to be out there and I think that's true like I think maybe things have been kind of put in perspective you know in terms of like how lucky everybody is to have a chance to play and how lucky everybody is to just be there and um you know enjoy the moment that you have and all that but like ultimately when things start going bad you kind of find out what you have and like how tough you are and like you know how resilient you can be and I think this is a team where like they have a chance to kind of maybe start off a little rough but like show some progress even if the result isn't there and then maybe like have a chance to, down the stretch to turn things into I'm not saying turn it into like an 8 and 4 or like anything like that but maybe you know go from uh you know 2 and 4 start to a 5 and 7 finish or something I don't know um You know, and I think if you did something like that, I mean, you're not going to all of a sudden like sell out all your games in 2024 if you go four and eight, five and seven. But there might be some signs of life, you know what I mean? Some progress um, that will at least demonstrate to someone like me that tries to cover the team sort of arbitrarily that, you know, he can he is the guy that could turn this thing around, you know, versus if you see kind of what you saw last year um, and the results, you know, like your win loss record isn't good. Then it becomes, you know, not to point at another school, but like almost like a Jeff Collins situation where it's like, you know, you're kind of like, all right, well, now is, are we running out the clock on this in year three already? Like, or or is this like two bad years and it's going to turn around somehow? Because I think in modern college football, if you don't at least show signs of like things headed in the right direction in year two, usually it doesn't end up. I, I don't see a lot of examples of, like, year three things all of a sudden falling into place.
0: I wouldn't wish the Jeff Collins thing on
2: anybody. <laughs> that's worth. It's a different situation, <laughs> but, like, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's like you just kind of want to see that they've grown. And I think one of the things that's worth pointing out is that, you know, it's Tony's first job as a head coach. Um, and I think he probably learned a lot about – organizational structure and you know that that was an area where bronco was like really on top of things you know he'd been a head coach for so long and he's very detail oriented and um and he came after mike london and was like oh here's all the stuff that's wrong and like work to fix those things like organization structurally and and tony i think came in and maybe took some things for granted or like maybe his staff did and um you know i think they probably thought like like a lot of us did that they would hit the ground running on offense and it just didn't click the way they thought it would Virginia Tech the the fans seem to
1: think going into year two that things are going to be better because Mm -hmm. the recruiting has been better yeah the reason why I bring that up is because I I think what you mentioned is notable like ultimately the wins and losses are what matter here and it's like how long of a leash do you get based on like you know, just liking the
2: guy. Mm-hmm. Right. vibes. Like, cause, cause I mean, Mike Fives. London got six years or whatever. I mean, Great. he's like, I, he's like a super nice guy. Right. And everybody Great point. liked it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it recruited, recruited decently. You know? Yeah. And I think uh, that's the thing with Tony is like, you know, the, with, with, with pry, for example, like I think you can say, Hey, maybe there's like, it's going to be a bit of a learning curve, but like we're building towards something where the roster, like, three, four years from now, like, the roster will be what his guys, and they're good guys, um, and there may be local guys. Um, and it's, like, maybe maybe we have to make a change at offensive coordinator or something or whatever, like, down the road. But, like, this is ultimately heading towards something. I think Tony has to kind of show that. I think with the transfer portal, you don't necessarily have to, like, have a top 25 recruiting class every year to be competitive in the ACC. If you can get the right transfers um, – but ultimately, like I said, it's gonna—it's a results-oriented business, and you know they're gonna have to win some games at some point.
1: And I just don't know what those are going to be this year, mm-hmm. Justin. I'm looking, at, so I'm looking at the schedule, and here's where I fall. I'll, I'll be the first one to take a crack at a record prediction. I think I'm going three and nine. Yeah. So, here's how I'm gonna fall on that. So the. The out of conference is brutal from you know for a rebuilding team and just kind of how the games fall and you know you're a four touchdown underdog against Tennessee in week 1 I saw that line today I mean that's uh, what what do you do right that's Joe just Hilton, to see and, what
2: you got game
1: that's just like, what do you, what do you got yeah. right what JMU playing them by the way right <laughs> jesus Well the
2: thing with Tennessee is like it, you can see how the spread gets so big it's just like they the way they play like, they can just spiral on you really quickly because they score like in fifty seconds. Um, yeah. So it's like if you open the, they open the game with the touchdown, then you punt to them, then all of a sudden it's fourteen nothing at the ten minute mark in the first quarter. Right.
1: Yeah. But and
2: you might not even have turned the ball over at all. Right. And yeah. All of a sudden you're down three
1: scores. Um, J- like JMU is, t- you know, tough. Obviously, national championship level FCS team make the jump to the FBS damn good (laughs) like first year they played pretty well not the not the you know first home game of the year you necessarily want to see on the schedule Maryland is competent enough NC State there at BC like that's a that's a swing game at Boston College early in the year Mm -hmm. like if you're trying to win four win five try to win six like you gotta win a couple of these swing games and BC on the road is one of them because Boston College could be anywhere between, like, bowl eligibility and the worst team in the ACC. Yeah. Like, that, that's kind of where I'm at with them. And so, I, I mean, I think if you're UVA, that's a swing game. And, you know, we talked about m- momentum going into the bye week and that William & Mary game. Like, if you're able to beat BC on the road, then beat William & Mary, you're trying to just kind of survive and get to that back stretch of the schedule in November and see if you can pluck a few off. And that's, I mean, that's the recipe to get to a bowl game. I just don't know if, if UVA is going to be able to do it. So I'm going to go with three and nine. I could definitely see four and eight. Uh, And then, you know, if, if UVA, you know, if they go and win three out of four in November, you know, they, they could win five, maybe six. You know, especially if, you know, you pluck off William & Mary BC, you know, Maybe get James Madison. Mm-hmm. Like that's how you get to a bowl game, is having a really strong November and just kind of surviving and, and winning one here and there early in the schedule. But I just I don't I just don't see it. I think the defense will be pretty good. You know, I think Musket will be serviceable. There's just a lot of unknowns on the offense. You mentioned the offensive line, the receiving core, running back room. There there are just question a lot of questions on offense. It wasn't very good to begin with last year. And I think the defense will keep them in games, relatively speaking. But you know, to a degree, your defense is a function of your offense too. Um, saw that in Blacksburg this year with my last year with my Hokies. Like the defense, I thought was pretty good, and then just wore down as the season went on. Just the mm-hmm. offense was so bad, and the defense I thought was solid, but just could not on the, stay field, off too the field too much. I mean, on the field, way too much. And you get
2: demoralized. And, I think like the Pit game last year. It's like they're already down fourteen nothing. They haven't even played it down it's like right. hard to get them like motivated to keep going.
1: Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm at. It's like I think the defense will play well and and keep them in games and I just think they'll get tired especially if the offense is just like not to improve. So I'm just going to go with 3 and 9 and I could see 4 and 8 and there's a narrow path to better than that, but it's just a tough the the schedule just lays out real poorly, I think.
2: Yeah. I mean that's where I am with it. I think you know I think you you kind of nailed it. I think there's like a narrow path for them to exceed our expectations, but it requires them to like I mean you kind of went through the games like it requires them to win a bunch of toss-up games or you know, worse. Um you know, like JMU I would say is like a coin flip. I'd say the one thing UVA might have in their favor in that one is that JMU has like a new quarterback and they just might not if they UVA might be able to keep them from scoring. Um you know, or at least keep the game low scoring. Um I think that's kind of a swing game in your season. If you win that one, it's like, okay, the first game was against Tennessee. Like, everybody knows you're going to lose that one. Um, and then, like, you kind of, all right, you know, you, you beat a, a good Jamie program at home. You know, like, I don't know that that's going to lead to you winning six games, but it might at least avoid the disasters. I mean, there's a disaster scenario where they could go, like, 1-11 and or something. Like, it's very possible. if they, You know, if you didn't hit on the transfers and – You know, you you do lose, like, your first five, which is very possible. Um, You know, all of a sudden you're looking at a really tough season Um, and one that it's going to be hard to kind of come back from next year because their schedule next year is not any better. You know, they have Clemson next year, Florida State next year. They go to Blacksburg. Um, You know, they have Maryland. I think they have Notre Dame. Like, it's not great. (laughs) Um, But, you know, so, like – I think if they won, like, six games this year, I would be, like, pretty confident that Tony could get this thing going in the right direction even if 2024 wasn't so great. Just because, like, that would be a huge – that would demonstrate to me some sort of, like, major improvement took place. Um, and they also exceeded expectations based on their roster. But, yeah, I mean, I think, like, you try to win as many of these, like, toss up games as you can. Um, the good thing, if you want to make a case, is, like, they have – um you know they were picked last in the league but they have like the teams that were picked like you know 13th 12th 11th and 10th i think or something um all on their schedule so it's like if you can win like three of those or something you know who knows but um i also kind of like that they get georgia tech and virginia tech at home i mean i'm not predicting them to win those games necessarily but you know if you have like games that you can win and they're at home like you know maybe that gives you a chance. And to be honest with you like if they won like 3 games or 4 games and beat Virginia Tech, people would be happy. <laughs> so like that would do it. <laughs> and if that if, you know we talked about like how does Tony like get the fan base on his side? Like that's something Bronco couldn't do. He did pretty much everything else you can do at Virginia except he was 1 and 5 against Virginia Tech. So, you know, I think like you have to find a way especially with Virginia Tech when being where they are right now. I mean, I think like they're they're beatable right so it's like it's not like the logan thomas david wilson teams coming to town um so like you know if they won that game i think that would that would that's almost worth like two or three wins to be honest with you
0: so you talk about all aboard the elliot train yeah i think if
2: they went four and eight and beat tech people would be happier than if they went six and six and didn't i think absolutely that would be the case especially i mean your reward for going six and six is you're going to like a you know, the Fenway Bowl or whatever, (laughs) you know, it's like, okay, cool. Um, Honestly, it's more about, I think um, with this team, it's going to be more of a, they're more of a journey team than a destination team (laughs) where it's like, show me the progress, even if maybe you don't win the games. Like I like that a lot. um, That's
0: a nice way of putting it, Justin. I mean, that's what you you have
2: to sort (laughs) of spin it that way, right? I mean, I think like that's... That, you know, when your expectations are where they are and, like, I just ha- I have a ha- hard time imagining them just, like, pulling a rabbit out of the hat and, you know, going eight and four or something. Like, I just don't see that as possible. Um And it's honestly but been – it's crazy. It's been a while since UVA has been, like, predicted to be this bad. Like, I had to think about that the other day. It's been since, like, Broncos' second year maybe Um, that they weren't, like, kind of predicted to get to a bowl. Um So, yeah. I, I- – I absolutely think
0: there's something to that, you know, with where where you're coming from last year, where the expectations are. I mean, I think that it's totally fair to look at this as a not the what, but the how. You know, are, are, it's not, you know, are you winning games or losing games? It's are you competitive in games? Are you getting blown out? Are you showing improvement from September through October to November? Or is it kind of the same team at the end of the year as it was? Um, that kind of thing. I think it's totally mm-hmm. fair.
2: The only other thing I'll say is, like, you talked about the narrow path. There is a a very small chance that, like, last year was a byproduct of just bad fits. And, like, Brandon has been pretty open about, like, I like to play free and in this sort of offense. And, you know, I know some of the feedback he got from the NFL after his last year with Bronco was that they felt like he was a system quarterback and wanted him to kind of prove that he wasn't. And he didn't. (laughs) And now he's going back to the system that he was in. So, like... So, I mean, like, and I think that's i mean he's gonna thrive there i am pretty confident um, but there is a chance that maybe like last year the the expectations were all out of whack because like nobody understood how bad the fit was um, and you know we'll see, i mean obviously, it'll be very interesting when him and I and Garrett 2J come to Charlottesville in the late september when they when they come up, so what will that reception be like? Very interesting, I think. I mean, I think most people are like, you know, I don't think anybody like has a thing like a problem with Brandon or anything like that. Um I think Anai completely burned his bridges on the way out with the the lineman pass. Um and some other <laughs> stuff that went on behind the scenes in the weeks to follow. Um but you know, I think like I think also like NC State is sort of like a neutral opponent for UVA, especially since they were in the other division. If he went to like Carolina or something, I yeah, think it would have been yeah. different um i mean noah taylor went to carolina and he got booed (laughs) when he came back and uh, justin mccoy basketball player went to carolina and he got booed when he came back um so i mean i think that would be different but i will see i mean honestly you know if he comes to Charlottesville and lights them up i think people will be a lot harder on like the uva staff than him (laughs) if that makes sense um, they'll be like, "What? Hap, like, why'd you run this guy off?" Um, but if it goes That'll the other way, tonight. then maybe people will be like, "Okay, maybe this just wasn't the fit." You know, the scheme and the player. Um, but we'll see.
0: I've been putting this off as long as I can. I feel bad, and I feel like I'm going to catch some heat here. Um, I'm going to go like two and ten. I think that's. I, I, I am, mean,
2: that's not that. Uh, that's not like a crazy prediction. I don't think.
0: Yeah, I man, I look at this. First of all, yeah, the, again, the four out-of-conference games, two of them you're on the road, you're going to be double-digit underdogs. Like, cannot imagine you know, either of those as, as a win. Mm-hmm. Bad year for your FCS game to be William and Mary, um, you know, a, a very functional FCS team who uh, is probably capable of jumping up and winning that game. Um, I just, I, I as Mike mentioned, I mean the, the questions. You, you're replacing Brennan Armstrong. I don't know that it's an upgrade necessarily. Um, oh, I don't the, the think the total, that. I mean,
2: yeah. I mean, I think maybe Muscat comes in and like surprises some people and plays well. But like, I mean, Brennan threw has thrown for like ten thousand yards in his career. <laughs>
0: hmm
2: Yeah, between that and the
0: the total restart on their wide receiver core and. All the other questions and, and you know, something else that I'll just bring this up here. And I've mentioned this on our show for the last year plus. I am not high on this coaching staff. I did not love the Elliott hire personally. And Mm -hmm. I I thought some of the staff that he put around him. It's funny, Justin, that you'd mentioned Jeff Collins, because I think that he probably made some of the same mistakes uh, that Collins made in terms of his assistance and kind of the lack of P5 experience among them. Yeah. Um, so for for just a variety of reasons, I am I need to see it from Virginia before I, I really feel like this is going to go somewhere. So I'll say two and ten. I, I think they might go one and three in the out of conference and and maybe pick off one team in ACC play. But I think it might be a long year for for the Cavs here in uh, in Charlottesville.
2: Oh yeah, no doubt. And and it's interesting that you mentioned the staff too, because like uh, well now they've made two more changes because the two guys he kept from Bronco staff are both gone. Higgins went to Penn State, and 2J went to NC State. Um, So, you know, that's two more changes that you've had to make. And they did hire a Power 5 offensive line coach. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I thought that was interesting. Um, And I was, like, kind of wondering, like, is this a budget thing? Like, what's going on? Uh, I think they were just the guys he wanted to bring in. And I think it's interesting because there's, like, such a strict dichotomy between, like, how the offensive, you know, side of the ball and the staff – are judged for last year and the defensive side, which are all part of the same group. (laughs) You know, it's like that, but the defensive staff, like they kind of, this happens a lot in programs. If your coach is like an offensive coach, he hires a defensive coordinators. Like you're like the head coach of defense, like, and you do your thing. And it seems like that's going well. (laughs) So, and we'll see, maybe this year things will regress. Um, but like, you know, and those guys weren't, aren't really power five coaches, but they seem to know what they're doing. Um, And, you know, they had good – Rydzinski had good defenses at Air Force, and he brought a guy with him who's who's a really good secondaries coach, it seems like. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see. Uh, Ultimately, you're kind of judged on the results. And there might not be wins and losses this year for this team, but just what they look like.
0: Mike, that's all I got for Justin. Anything else before we get him out of here?
1: Very thorough, Justin. Appreciate it, buddy. Yeah, we'll see if you get
2: to use the Virginia's awesome sound. (laughs) Yeah. Oh that's he a certainty. Might, you might get you might get a reprieve. <laughs> oh my god. That's a certainty. Oh, there there are uh, there are a lot still of things that
0: could go either way in ACC football, but the uh, Virginia's awesome drop coming out is is a is a certainty.
1: I don't think you'll hear me saying that too many times this year unless we're really surprised. If if that sound actually came out with with me saying it like with the original sound like saying it again, mm-hmm. that probably means Virginia's on their way to a bowl game.
2: Yeah, if they beat Tennessee, you have to, basically.
1: <laughs> I, I don't think I have a choice, and I'll, I'll remember this conversation um, here in about 10 days if, if it goes down that yeah, way. Yeah.
2: We'll right. see what happens.
0: Justin, you're the man. Really appreciate it. Do you want to take a second and tell the people where they can go find your stuff?
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, we're at CavsCorner.com. We're on the Rivals.com network if you're into recruiting and stuff like that. We do a lot of football and basketball coverage, obviously a football doesn't go well hopefully the basketball team will pick us up <laughs> in november with with content and things like that so um yeah check us out if you're a uva fan if you're not you're probably not going to be very interested <laughs> really every appreciate once in a while i'll do like a realignment thing or something but you know for the yeah. most part it's uva stuff so. straight up there you go. straight up
0: I think it' worth worth everyone else's while,
2: or it. maybe if you like to like hate read, if you're like, man, like let's see how bad that bad things are over there. I mean, I know people do that with message boards. So, I, I like got I got
1: way too many people, way too many people who follow me and post stuff about UVA. Just you know, the the fan accounts, all that stuff. I I see plenty of the UVA message boards without trying to, Justin. Yeah, as you
2: can I'm imagine. Sure. Message board geniuses too. Obviously, we always. I'm always proud when our site ends up on there somehow.
0: (laughs) We'll make sure that they follow uh, CavsCorner.com, Mike.
1: Yes. Yeah. For sure.
0: (laughs) Justin, you're the man. Really appreciate it. We'll uh, love to have you on sometime again soon. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Let's get out of here. We are wrapping up team previews. I think we got two more ahead of us, so we will get out of here and go do that. In the meantime. Come find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel SI together at BC Podcast ACC. And go find Justin on Twitter at Justin underscore Ferber uh, or at CavsCorner.com on the Rivals Network. Uh, we're on iTunes. We're on Spotify. Hit that subscribe button. There's ratings on both of those services. I think there's others. You know, Just go find us wherever you get your podcasts. Please do. Uh, send us an email. Longest email address, no demand. Podcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. Uh, where else are we on the social medias?
1: Facebook, Facebook.com slash basketball commerce rate review. Find some of our podcasts there. We're on Instagram at BC Podcast ACC. Also on YouTube, YouTube.com slash at the ACC football podcast.
0: Yeah. YouTube been, uh been a little spicy lately, so uh, go, go it's jump been in. Spicy, spicy. Jump in the comments. Go, go check it out. We we're uh, we're going to have some stuff there, especially as the season gets going. Might be some uh, Saturday night content. After after the games mm-hmm. are over, so uh, you know, just mm-hmm. make sure you hit the subscribe button so you know when we go live, just in case. Yep, just in case. I think that's it, Mike. Did I forget anything?
1: We're good, man. We are almost done with previews.
0: We are two more teams left. You want to come back and preview them? Yes, sir. I think we have to. We're obligated. All right.
1: I, uh, that's what they pay us the big bucks for, Joey. You, I,
0: know. Uh, you know every one of those big bucks that's that's right that's yes. exactly what it is. all no. uh, yes all right all right we'll be out of here we'll go uh, go preview those teams and uh, we'll talk then yep all right well until then for mr mike mcdaniel for mr justin ferber i am joey weaver thank you guys so much for listening we will talk to you again soon until next time go hoos and go acc